Welcome, welcome to church today. So good to be here. Thank you to the worship team. That was awesome um, for bringing us into God's presence. I really believe that uh, God wants to speak to us today. And so as Jan prayed, just that we would be open to what His Spirit wants to say to us uh, this morning. So um, we're in a series at the moment called What's New? So if I had to ask you that question, does anyone have an answer? What's new? Anything fun happening in someone's life, you can just raise your hand if there's something new going on. The first service, someone said, no, nothing, it's boring, old, same old. You know, I, I'm not sure if any of you are like me. I've kind of thought it would be cool to come up with an invention, you know, that I could patent something that I invented. I don't know if anyone else has had that thought. Um, and I've often thought, you know, is there actually anything that's new? Because everything that I think of has already been invented, and that might say more about me than about anything else. But what is new? So I did a little bit of research, and there are some really fun new things out there that are being invented right now. As of April 2022, there are things that are being invented called 3D printed coral reefs. So our coral reef systems are in danger. Um, and are very important, obviously, to the world. And so people have realized that we can use 3D printers to print coral reefs, obviously with a lot of other stuff that goes on there, um, not out of plastic, but out of clay, and to sink artificial reefs to rebuild our reef systems. How cool is that? What's new? Another thing that I came across was a joystick-controlled robot that does operations specifically for people who have had a stroke or an aneurysm. So because that uh, operation is quite finicky, it takes years to become proficient in this, and there are fewer and fewer surgeons who are able to do this operation, specifically in that moment where you could get in there, and um, they call it the golden hour, to not, um, the, the person who you're operating on won't have any side effects. So they have developed a robotic surgical system that you can operate remotely. Essentially, because there's so few surgeons, it's a joystick-controlled robot that if you put it in a hospital, a person can be in that hospital but operated on by a surgeon that's in a different city. How crazy, eh? I mean, I don't want to be the first person in that one, <laughs> just saying. But isn't that incredible? What's new? Another thing that I read about was reprintable paper. So we obviously know that Paper is greener than plastic, um, and we're wanting to reduce, reuse, recycle. But what about reusing paper? So they have developed, they, these genius people, have developed a paper that's made out of pollen that um, is obviously treated in a whole bunch of different ways. I can send you this article because I'm using layman's terms here. And essentially, you can, you can use an alkaline solution to wipe it clean, and all the ink and everything comes off, and you can reuse that same piece of paper up to eight times. Amazing. What's new? So there are new things out there, just saying. Um, and in this series, we're looking at what's new, but ironically, today, we are going to go back to one of the oldest commands um, as we dive in. It's the command to love. The command to love God and to love your neighbor. Galatians 5 verse 14 says, For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
it's a pretty important thing. Paul, when he wrote a letter to a church in Corinth, he said this, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Let me show you a way of life that is best of all. I'm not sure about you, but if I hear a sentence like that, it piques my interest. A way of life that's best of all, I want that way of life. I want to lean into, tell me, tell me this way of life that's best of all. Um, we're going to read it from the NIV version where he says that same sentence, I will show you the most excellent way. And then he writes this beautiful, beautiful passage that we've heard so often at weddings and all sorts of different places. I'm going to read that this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, this is big stuff he's speaking about, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, does not boast, it's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. If I jump to the end of that chapter, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Follow the way of love. What a passage, hey? Almost don't need to unpack that at all. Just kind of sit here and soak it in. You know, just give you 10 minutes and then we can go home, right? We're not going to do that today. Sorry for you. You can do that at home though. What a beautiful passage to just soak in. But that's what love is. You know, if in, in our day and age, if I can recite a ridiculously eloquent prayer, if I can give all my possessions to flood relief, if I'm willing to die for my faith, but I don't have love, it's worthless. And then he explains what love is. Love is patient. It's got a long fuse. Love is kind. Love never fails. It's beautiful. Hey, it's, um, it's quite interesting to try and put your name in there, right? In a Debbie is patient. Oh dear, I failed on the first one. <laughs> I used to be very patient and then I had children. And um, yeah, love, Debbie is patient, Debbie is kind. Debbie does not envy. Debbie always perseveres. Put your name in there because that's love. But it does perfectly describe the person of Jesus. Jesus is patient and kind, does not boast always protects. Perfect love describes Jesus perfectly because God is love. He ends that passage with those few words, follow the way of love. It's actually the first verse of chapter 14. In other versions, it says, let love be your highest goal or go after a life of love as if your life depended on it because it does. 
Pursue this love with eagerness. Make it your goal. I love that. Pursue love. That's the challenge here. That's the command that Paul puts out. Pursue love. The word pursue means to follow or chase, to run after, to persistently or diligently seek, to attain or accomplish over a long period. It's this purposeful, intentional thing that Paul's asking of us. Pursue love. Pursue love. Now, why would you want to do that? This passage that we've just read tells us a lot of reasons. First of all, it's the best way of all. Why would you want to live a life that's not the best way of all, right? Secondly, it's all that remains. So why would you want to pursue love while all the other stuff fades away? Thirdly, it's how God chose to show himself to the world. He chose to show himself to the world through his people and how they love. 1 John 4 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Pursue love. How do you do this? There's lots of ways that you could pursue love. Like with this, we could speak about this for a very long time. I want to just throw out a few. You know, one of the ways I think is to know love. And by that, I mean to know Jesus, who is love. If we know God, we allow love to teach us how to love. You know, when you hang out with someone a, a lot, if you spend a lot of time with someone, you start to become like them, right? You start to talk like them and think like them even. If you spend time with love, you'll start to speak like love. And think love and act love. Ephesians 3 verse 17 says, may your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep and how high his love really is. To know Jesus, we sink down in our roots into the understanding of his love for us. And then that fruit of love starts to grow out of us. Another way we could pursue love, so we could know love, we could also sacrifice ourselves. It's really hard to love others when I'm the most important person in my world. If I prefer myself over others all the time, it's very hard to pursue loving them. In order to elevate others, sometimes I need to sacrifice myself. Philippians chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. That's a big verse, eh? So there's lots of ways. I've just mentioned two there. What I want to do actually is to lean into two other ways that I believe we need to pursue love or things that we could do to pursue love that aren't really the ordinary things. I think that they will speak to all of us. I think they're relevant to all of us today. 
a few weeks ago, months ago, I took one of my kids to a birthday party. And we were walking down to the bottom of the garden. And it was so cool because the people that at the house of the party and their next door neighbors had decided to kind of merge their gardens. So they had taken down parts of the fence. They would put like a little gate there, but they told me that gate's never closed. And their kids just kind of go from one house to the other, and their pets just go from one house to the other, and they've kind of like just dropped those fences. Barry's aunt uh, moved into her house in Joburg at the same time as her neighbor did. And they've also decided they took down a part of the wall and they put a little gate there. And it's just this beautiful way of saying, I want you in my space, you know. I don't want this wall between us. We want to go freely from our space to your space. So dropping that fence sounds a little bit like the words I'm going to say right now. To drop a fence. In order to pursue love, I believe that we need to drop a fence. And I'll get to the actual fence thing soon. But in order to pursue love, I believe that we need to drop offense. Offenses are an inevitable part of our everyday lives. Even Jesus said in Luke 17, it's impossible that no offenses should come. There's a guy called John Bevere who wrote a book around the topic of offense. And he said this, if you breathe air, you will have the opportunity to be offended. It's impossible that it won't happen. What you do with the offense will determine your future. Either you'll become stronger or you'll become bitter, but you will never be the same. John Bevere called his book on offense the bait of Satan because the word for offense used in that passage I read just now is the ancient Greek word scandalon, which essentially is the bait stick or the trigger on a trap. So if a hunter is wanting to catch a small animal or a bird or something, they would put the bait onto the scandalon, and when the animal took it, then the trap would close around them and they would get caught. Offense is the bait of Satan pulling you into his trap. That's the premise of John Bevere's book. Stephen Furtick said this, talking around Satan's schemes. He said, his agenda is destruction, his strategy is division, his tactic is offense. His agenda is destruction. John 10, 10 says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. His agenda is destruction. His strategy is division. Matthew 12 says every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Division does half the job of destruction. And his tactic is offense. The enemy is so shrewd. He starts so small, almost unnoticeable, like the scandalon, the bait of offense. And we're like that little animal who doesn't even realize it's a trap until we are trapped. The way of Jesus, however, is completely opposite to what I've just mentioned. His agenda is life. I have come that you may have life and life to the full. His strategy, I believe, is love. 1 Corinthians 14, let love be your highest goal. That's the most excellent way when we love God and we love our neighbors. That's how we find true life. 
And his tactic, I believe, in the case of offense is forgiveness. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You know, that question that the disciples asked Jesus, how many times should we forgive? Seven? And I mean, let's be honest, they were aiming quite high. To forgive someone seven times for the same thing is quite a lot, probably more than most of us put into place. And Jesus says, no, 77 times seven. And he's not actually wanting us to work that maths out. He's just saying it's not the point about how many times. Forgive. Listen to this. Proverbs 18, verse 19. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. That's hectic, eh? An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. If you go back to all your kind of wartime old school movies that you've ever watched, how hectic is it to get into a fortified city? And yet an offended friend is harder to win back, Scripture tells us. So what is around a fortified city? Non-rhetorical question. Walls, exactly right. What is around a fortified city? It's walls for protection. Isn't it the same with offense? That we put up walls for protection and we only allow those who are safe to come in. Often those safe people are the ones that agree with us. And we keep out those who are unsafe. This provides a classic echo chamber, affirming your beliefs and your position as to why your offense is valid. You don't want to hear the opposite opinion. So we put up these walls. We put up these fences that won't allow people to come in. But what also happens when you put walls around you? Well, you get trapped. The walls or the bars of that offense can form a prison around you. They keep people out, but they also keep you in. Scripture calls those walls strongholds which essentially are thoughts or reasonings that are opposite to the Word of God. The Word of God is rooted in the character of God, and God is love. So if we are sitting behind walls that are opposite to the way of God, it's impossible to pursue love. Offense makes it impossible to pursue love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no records of wrongs. Oh, when I'm offended, I don't want to hear this stuff. Come on, man, hey? I don't know if anyone else is feeling that. And love gives. When you've been hurt or taken advantage of or you've been offended, we want to put up the walls to protect ourselves. We can't pursue through walls. We can't pursue love through walls. Rather, Proverbs 17 says, whoever would foster love covers over an offense. Whoever would foster love, whoever would pursue love covers over an offense. It it kind of sounds a little bit like they're wanting us to pretend that something didn't happen. I don't think that's the case at all. I think that we have to deal with it and deal with it properly and then drop it. Not suppress it, but deal with this offense and then drop it. That's the way to foster love, to pursue love. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults, 
because of your love. I mean, I get offended by people. I also offend people. I might have offended some of you. I hope that you would make an allowance for my faults because of your love. And I must do the same to make allowance for others' faults. It carries on in Ephesians, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. To pursue love, you've got to take down the fences, right? Now, you will be offended, but what are we going to do about it? So I just want to say two practical things this morning. The first is I believe that we need to work hard to become less offendable. Work hard to become less offendable. I grew up with three brothers, as many of you know. They worked very hard to make me less offendable. And I'm grateful to them for that and all the things that they said to me that now makes me less offendable. Thanks. But how can I work hard to become less offendable? What about choosing to believe the best rather than the worst? So say you get a a bit of an ambiguous text message. It could mean this. It could mean that. This is good. That is bad. Why do we always believe the bad? Hey, because it could mean something good. Either ask for clarification, but so often we just sit in offense rather than believing the best. Maybe we could just believe the best. Maybe we can choose to look at things from the other side. You know, say someone ignores you in the shops. Maybe looking at it from the other side is putting yourself in their shoes, decentralizing yourself, saying, sure, I wonder what's going on with them. Maybe they're having a really bad day today. Let's say a prayer for them. Maybe they're just trying to keep their three children in the trolley. <laughs> Let's say a prayer for them. If you ever see me in the shops, that might be me. <laughs> but choose to look at things from the other side. It's not all about me. Sometimes when it's just about me, I feel like I've got the right to be offended. Maybe they've got a whole lot of stuff going on. Believe the best, see things from the other side, and then most importantly, make the choice to forgive. Sometimes you will be offended and someone will offend you on purpose. But we can choose to put up the bars and trap ourselves, or we can choose, as Jesus tells us to, to forgive. You know, if you set the prisoner free, you often find out that the prisoner was you. So work hard to become less offendable. That's kind of going forward. But then I believe that there's long-standing offenses, probably many of them, that are sitting in this room. We've been offended by something and we've never sorted it out. And there's lots of stuff. You probably need to unpro- process this or unpack this way more than this. This is a very simplified answer. But I just want to encourage us that we pick them up one at a time. Let's drop them one at a time. One at a time. Let's deal with it. Have the conversation. Apologize. You know, pray. Ask God, forgive. We pick them up one at a time. Let's drop them one at a time. Proverbs 19 says, It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Live a life of glory in this space. You know, what's so disheartening to me is the amount of offense that happens in a church space. You hear stories of people who leave church because of an offense. Maybe the people weren't friendly enough. Maybe they were offended by the color of their pastor's shirt. <laughs> you never know. I heard a story once of someone who left a church because they found the curtains offensive. They were too boring for a sanctuary. Come on, peeps. 
Let's drop offense. Let's choose to forgive. You know, we think we've got the right to offense. If only we could find an example of someone who did have the right to be offended, who had every right to be offended, to, had every right to hold our offenses against us, to stand at a distance. If only we could find that example. But he didn't. He didn't. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Jesus dropped every offense that we ever committed against him. He opened up his arms and he forgave us. And we should too. God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. So in order to pursue love, I believe we need to drop offense. We need to release resentment. We need to foster forgiveness. We need to pursue love. Maybe even as I've been speaking, you thinking about somebody or some instance. Maybe it's something you need to deal with. Maybe it's something you can just drop. But let's pursue love. Last thing I wanna say, another section that I believe that we need to lean into in, in order to pursue love, to pursue that love like Jesus, the 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love, is I believe that we need to put down prejudice. Believe that we need to put down prejudice. James 2 says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here is a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, You stand there or sit at the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated against yourself, among yourselves? and become judges with evil thoughts. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Rather, we remind, what, we remind ourselves what God said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his heart, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. In order to pursue love, we need to put down prejudice. Now, I recently got glasses. Just so you know, I'll, I'll show you and get it over with, should I? Yes. Just going to get it over with. If the fa fabulous optometrist from our church who helped me with this process is listening, I wear these glasses all the time. Don't. There you go. Okay, but I'm going to put them on properly just now. So the truth is that these glasses feel weird. I don't know anyone else who wears glasses. Maybe the first time you got them and you had to wear them, they feel weird. I walk past a mirror and I'm like looking at a stranger, right? It feels weird, they look weird. Jacques keeps chirping me, okay? So there's a backstory here. 
I um, one of my New Year's resolutions was to wear earrings, right? <laughs> and then Jacques made a big deal about it. So Jacques and I chirp each other a lot. It's part of our friendship. He's awesome. If you don't know Jacques, he's another pastor here. It's, it's part of our friendship. Anyway, so I'm wearing earrings now, and then he's like, what, what happened to your face? <laughs> it's like how we, how we talk to each other. So then I have to get glasses for legitimate reasons, and now he's like, oh, all about the accessories, eh? <laughs> so, so anyway, Jacques chirps me. It's not cool, you know? Um, it's also fun, but it's, you know. But the biggest problem with these glasses is that they mess with me. So I feel like I see fine. I mean, you guys all look awesome. I feel like I see fine. The reason I realized I need glasses was because I had to go and renew my driver's license. So, you know, that was the only reason. And um, I mean, I kind of knew that there was some kind of deficiency lurking behind the surface there a little bit, but, but I feel like I see fine. And then I put these glasses on and I can see properly, you know, and you still look awesome. That's the great news. I can see everything so well, but it feels uncomfortable. It feels so uncomfortable. I'm not used to it. It's a, it's a different me. I'm comfortable with the old me. I like her. Jacques doesn't chirp her, you know. This new 2020 vision me has incredible vision, but it feels uncomfortable. But here's the kicker. When I take them off, it feels even worse. Because now I know how much I can't see. And how inefficiently I've been seeing for so long, I can't, I can't unsee that now. So my eyes have been open and I can't go back. So now I just feel uncomfortable with my glasses on and with them off. So I've got two choices. I can leave them off and try to suppress the knowledge that there is a better way. And with time, I'll get used to my underfunctioning eyesight again. Or I can push through the uncomfortable change and become better. Isn't it the same with prejudice? You know, I, th I think I'm fine. I think I see fine. I mean, I kind of know there's some deficiency lurking behind the surface, but I'm fine. I only see the heart. I treat everyone the same. I don't see color or status, hey? And then I put these glasses on, the glasses of the Word of God, and God tells me how to see, and it gets uncomfortable because I'm not used to it. This new me, this new way that God wants me to see with his eyes, it feels uncomfortable. And, and I was happy with the old me. I liked her. She didn't get chirped around the dinner table for sticking up for people that we used to all ridicule together. I know that these lenses are 20-20, but they're uncomfortable. She has the kicker. When I take those lenses off, it's even worse. Because now I have seen clearly. I've seen how God wants me to see, and I know how much I can't see with my own eyes. I know how inefficiently I've been seeing for so long. How often I assign more value to someone because of their impressive occupation, or I assign less value to someone because of their bad habits. I can't unsee it. 
my eyes have been opened and I can't go back. And so now I'm just uncomfortable. Lenses on and off. So I've got two choices. I can leave them off and try to suppress the knowledge that there is a better way of seeing people, God's way. And I can go back to how I was. And with time, I'll probably get used to my underfunctioning ways, my prejudiced ways of seeing people. Or I can push through the uncomfortable change and become better and see people how God sees people. And over time, probably through a lot of complex and uncomfortable dialogue and choosing to place myself in different spaces and engage with different people, the assigning of value to people due to external factors will start to cease and I will learn to truly love all people without partiality, like Jesus. See, I can't pursue love with prejudice. I can't pursue love with prejudice. Running after a life of love means loving all people in all spaces just like Jesus. He saw the heart. He didn't worry about the exterior. He didn't worry about man-made scales of importance. He didn't worry about the social narrative that tells you who we should love and who it's okay to not love. He chose to engage with those who were other to him. In his case, Gentiles, Samaritans, women. He chose to engage because he loved and we should too. The way of Jesus is the way of love. We need to pursue seeing with the eyes of Jesus. We need to put down prejudice and pursue love. While I'm speaking, you may think of somebody or a people group or somebody who you've prejudged Maybe you need to lean into some conversation or spending time getting to know that person or those people. Who is other to you that perhaps you are holding a prejudice against? We can't pursue love with prejudice. So John said very, very, very beautifully and eloquently this week, he said, love that endures is love that we intentionally make new. Love that endures is love that we intentionally make new. So we're looking at the oldest command. We need to intentionally make this love new. And we wanna remind ourselves today of the importance of pursuing love. You know, the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as you love yourself. We need to love. Our desire as a church is to pursue love. That's not new. As a church, we wanna reflect Jesus. That's not new. We wanna be self-sacrificing, offense-allergic, forgiveness-fostering, impartial lovers of Jesus who love like Jesus. That's a new way of saying it, but it's not new. This is who we've always been. We're committed to that in so many ways, across the board, with every people group, with every subculture, and we are working hard. And I want to invite you to make sure that you are a part of the we that is working hard at loving all people. 
just like his disciples here on earth got it wrong so often, we do too. We're people. We make a lot of mistakes. That's also not new. But we are determined to keep on trying to love like Jesus. That's not new. So what is new? It's the whole title of everything. What is new? Well, I want to share one thing that is new. It's an outworking of this heart to pursue love. And that new thing is that we are going to be opening a recovery house. Some of you have heard about this. You might have been in on the conversations. For some of you, this might be brand new information. But we are going to be opening a recovery house. Why a recovery house? Well, if you follow the history of this church, God has been working in the space of recovery from addiction for a long, long time. In 2006, we started a program that we ran here for a bunch of years called Celebrate Recovery. Fast forward, we had a group called Heal that ran from, from this church. In the last two years, we started Home Ground Recovery along with Project Exodus. Those are just the official, official kind of ministries. People who need to be set free from addiction have been a part of our youth ministry and our counseling and our pastoring and our congregation for many, many years. God seems to be doing something. But we want to lean into that more intentionally because it's still a big addiction, still a big issue in the Westville community. And so we want to love and support in the space at a crossroads, a sensitive time in the recovery journey. Essentially, people who will be living in the recovery house will have come out of rehab, but not yet transitioned into kind of regular, regular life. Rehab's very structured, very safe, very closed, and often that transition is, is a problematic time. And so we want to we support there, provide this transitional house that's a clean, safe space to kind of transition. We want to love and support people on their path to healing and freedom one at a time. You might wonder how it came about. I'm happy to have the long conversation with anyone who's interested. But in a nutshell, COVID hit. There were massive financial constraints on us as a church. Cast also went through a time of restructuring and downsized quite a lot. And so we had our cast house, massive house. We were struggling to pay for that. And we only had six people working from that space. And so if we fast forward quite a long time, we were looking for something to do with that house that lined up with our vision, that lined up with an existing ministry, and that we believe that God was calling us to do, but also could fund itself. And so after months of prayer and research and conversations with Project Exodus and Anthem Church, because they also have a recovery house at their church, God led us to this, which will work alongside our weekly support groups that we run every Monday night, where we sing massive ministry happening weekly. So we're excited about this new thing. Where we're at, essentially, casters almost ready to move down to their new offices. That will happen in the next two weeks. We're in the process of looking for a recovery house overseer. We'll do the final alterations, and we are looking to open in August, which is really, really exciting. And that's what's new. But just to say that there's lots of ways that we can get involved, and we're asking you to get involved, three ways. We're asking you to join us in praying for this ministry that really is a battle for people's souls. 
We're asking you to pray. If you'd like to join a WhatsApp prayer group that we have, you can contact me or you can contact us on feedback at homeground.org.za. I'd love to add you to that prayer group um, to pray with us for this process and for the ministry. We're asking for practical stuff. We've got a house that needs to be furnished. And so we've got a list of things that we're looking for. If you maybe have got something lying around your house, anything from a fork to a foosball table, you never know. Um, we're looking to furnish a house. And so obviously we'll buy what we need to, but maybe there's already stuff out there. And so we're looking for that practical help. There's little pieces of paper that you can get on the way out if you want to have a look, or there'll be a QR code on the screen afterwards that you can kind of just uh, take a photo of and it'll lead you to that list. But actually... And I don't want those, those other things to get lost in what we're actually asking. We're actually asking for everybody in our church to pursue love. That's what we're actually asking. We want to be known as a church in our community and beyond as a church that loves, that loves everyone. Sure, anyone who's been battling addiction would be able to tell you that they have been prejudged a lot of times. Because sometimes there's prejudice, sometimes there's offense. This is just one outworking of this, but we want to be a church that pursues love. You know, there's prejudices against old people and young people and accountants and teachers, and you know, let's just stop with that and pursue love. So please pray. Please help us with the practical if you can. But actually, Please pursue love. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the love that you show us. That love that pursues us. That while we were still sinners, you died for us. That love that is actually unattainable and yet you give it so freely, God. And just as freely as we've received that love, God, may we love others. Help us as a church to pursue love. God, I want to pray for any offenses that are sitting in this room, that you would give the courage, the boldness to deal with those offenses and to drop them. We pray for loads and loads of forgiveness to be offered in those spaces, even this week. God, we pray for the prejudices that are represented in this room, the ones that sometimes we don't even know we have. Lord, we pray that you would give us your eyes, that you would help us to put on your lenses and to see people the way that you see them and to love people the way that you love them. God, help us with this. Help us to pursue love. In Jesus' name, amen.